Hello and welcome to Warehouse 69, the Fediverse's finest Warehouse 13 watch podcast. I'm Princess Grace, and with me as always is my co-host, Timmy. How you doing, Timmy? Pretty good. How are you today, Grace? Oh, well, aside from what's going on outside, I'm pretty good. We get to talk about Season 1, Episode 11, Nevermore. And there's a couple reasons I'm jazzed to talk about this episode, both because it's a good one and because it takes place partially in Colorado Springs, which is a place I have been. <laughs> Though, at the start they say Colorado City, I think. Even the title card says that, which is strange. Yeah, I never heard of no Colorado City. <laughs> yeah, like, it exists, but, like, 2,000 people live there. Yeah, seems a little unlikely for our setting, honestly. No, no, it is... It seems very un- unlikely to have the fancy Catholic school that we see in this episode, as opposed right. to Colorado Springs, which has, you know, uh, you know, 400 and some thousand people. Right. It seems like it wouldn't be the place you'd expect a fancy lad sk- school for hemophiliacs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Colorado City is one of those tiny mountain towns with like, you know, well, it's got some stuff in it. It's got some you know, state parks and a golf course and such, but it certainly is not a very fancy place, no. So we open on a uh, a recap, which uh, really tells you a lot about where we're going in this episode, uh, because it uh, touches on McPherson, then it shifts to telling us all about what we know about Micah and her father's relationship. Mm-hmm. Which it's made clear that her father was uh, abusive through her childhood. Uh, you know, pretty dark, dark sort of mood for this yeah. uh, episode to open on. Yeah, shitty stuff that does come back later, though. There was a a point I will touch on when we get to it, but uh, and uh, we also hear the name of the bookstore that her parents run, and that's where this episode starts, I believe. Oh yeah, it it starts with a uh, a box dropped off on their doorstep, right? Yes, we uh, the title card says I think it says Colorado City, but I'm gonna say Colorado Springs because that's where it's actually set. And that's what they say later. But uh, you know, it's the uh, the bookstore that Micah just said a mysterious package is dropped off. The bookstore, who- by the way, is called Bering and Sons. There you go. For the last name of Micah and presumably her father, mm. actually, definitely her father, uh, and his fictional sons. Yeah, I just, I just realized that, like, Micah's his only kid, right? right? Yeah, yeah. At one point, she was explaining that, and she said that uh, it, it just sounded better as the name of a bookstore. <laughs> yeah, you never see any, uh, you never see any whatever in daughters businesses right exactly and i mean i'm sure it's the patriarchy at work but (laughs) (laughs) we do uh women weren't allowed to uh start businesses until relatively recently right yeah and so uh despite uh her father only having a daughter he named his business bearing and sons it's a pretty good bit (laughs) uh and uh Micah's dad picks up the package. He uh, there's a 
he takes out the box, he takes the, and he takes a book out of one of those little kind of foil anti-static bags that they keep artifacts in. Right. How ominous. Ooh. And uh, he starts flipping through it and... Catches an evil book curse. Yeah, the the words start crawling all over his hands. It's a pretty good effect and also very unsettling. Yeah. Yeah, this is... uh, We talked a lot last time around about how poorly some of the effects were executed. This actually looks pretty good. Yeah. It doesn't look convincing, but it looks good in context. Yeah. It looks better than the straps that tie Pete and Claudia down later, but regardless. (laughs) Yeah. It looks good. He's uh, he's got worditis. So also before the opening, we see uh, agents Baring and Latimer have split up, and Artie is kind of guiding both of them at once, and uh, it appears Pete is uh, tossing the apartment of James Er. Micah is tossing the apartment of James McPherson, which is a bummer because we know how much Pete likes to uh, toss through people's personal belongings. Oh, yeah, he loves it. Can't get enough. Pete, however, is in Toronto, I believe. Oh, Montreal. Okay, yeah, because he has to, uh, Artie has to speak French to uh, tell the police to back down. Yeah, and I think we hear Pete shouting something in French as he runs. Oh, yeah. The The police were certainly shouting something at him in French oh, because they, they had no idea what he was doing there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's chasing McPherson. He's found McPherson and has him at Tesla Point. Unfortunately, Micah has found that the case that contains the symbols, as they call them, is empty. Ooh. So, uh, it's very likely that James McPherson has uh, the supersonic symbols. Uh, I don't know that they're ever named as such in the episode, but that is what the Warehouse 13 wiki uh, says they are. And, well, I've never been lied to by the Warehouse 13 wiki before. Right. They do a bang-up job. I'm going to come right out and say it. If any of you uh, maintainers of the Warehouse 13 wiki are listening, uh, <laughs> great great work. <laughs> A+. Plus. And if you'd like to be on the podcast, email us at wearehouse69 at io. And so we, uh, we have seen James McPherson pull out these tiny finger symbols. They look extremely threatening in his hand. <laughs> It's it's very funny that, like, McPherson is, he tries his best to look threatening, and he often does, but uh, a lot of the show's prop work kind of works against him. Right. The instrument that is the, uh, going to be the death of two of Montreal's uh, police officers uh, looks extremely whimsical in use. Yeah. He strikes the symbols together. Pete just barely covers his ears and is brought to the ground, but he fares a uh, fair deal better than the uh, Montreal police who just die from hearing the symbol. <sighs> Rip. We don't Rip. even find this out until uh, 
until later when Artie's when no, it's Miss Frederick who brings up like, oh, he killed two cops or whatever. Right. Yeah. Uh, no one seems to be paying any attention because Pete uh, was mildly incapacitated and then tried to chase him down and didn't get anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he kind of disappeared. So I guess Pete just leaves the country after that. Yeah, you just... Yeah, because next time we see him, he's in Colorado Springs. Right. And uh, Micah is uh, getting a phone call on her cell phone after she's tossed uh, McPherson's apartment. And it's her mom telling her that her dad is uh, very sick. Oh, no. And she's like, I, I, I got to go home. It's, yeah, uh, it's important. Ohana yeah, means family. Yeah, family means no one gets left behind. Yeah, because before this, Artie says something like, well, that's it, guys. Pack it up. Let's head home, meaning come back to the warehouse. And then Micah, right. we see Mike is saying, like, I have to go home, meaning Colorado. Right. And uh, so uh, we get our opening uh, credit sequence. And then uh, Micah's arriving at her parents' place in Colorado. Mm-hmm. Kind of takes a deep breath. Uh, she's been avoiding visiting her folks for uh, quite some time, as we've talked about in the past when Pete was mm-hmm. giving her shit about it, which yeah. is like distinctly a shitty thing to do. We've talked about this. Yeah, like we don't need to reopen the the old wounds, especially since Pete is... At the very least, not shitty about it in this episode. Right. He's quite supportive throughout this episode. Yeah, he's he's being Mr. Good Guy. And I think right He's got to hit here. him with the uh, the good cop, bad cop deal. Yeah, the old Latimer charm. <laughs> always, uh, always, even with your agent, use good cop, bad cop. <laughs> and uh, I think this is about where we find our... Uh, because in my notes here, I have we go to Portland real quick. Uh, oh yeah, my guys. Uh, our our guy here is getting bullied by a some sort of bully at some sort of fancy Catholic private school. Right. With like it's a it looks like a fucking cathedral. Like it's all like fancy cathedral looking stone and and all that. Right. And yeah. Very high I've, ceilings. Uh, yeah. Like a very old to, building. I've been to Colorado Springs a number of times in my life, and I've never seen a building like this there. That's not to say right. it isn't, but like... Yeah, but like even Catholic schools aren't built like Catholic churches. Like they're frequently attached to, but like you you do all of the opulence for your church because it sends yeah. a, a particular sort of message about the majesty and power of God or whatever. Yeah. But like you don't do that with the school. Schools are just schools. Like yeah, it's... it's it's got to be nicer than a public school because it's supposed to, you know, get parents yeah. to pay money. Which is weird because this school looks shitty. Like, they have these tiny-ass wooden desks. Right, but that adds to the charm. It's like the uh, the corporal punishment adds to the charm. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> uh. And then... So, so yeah, we- uh, this... Guy is getting bullied. Uh, he has a picture of a girl, and the bullies call him a creep. Yeah, which, which I hate fair. to like side. I hate to side with the bully, but 
Kid, it's really weird to carry around a photograph of the girl who you like and does not like you. Right. Yeah, it's a little uh a little strange there. Yeah. Does the girl even get a name? Yeah, she's Tamara. Oh, right, right. There was a whole bit where I think Pete didn't remember her name. Right. Yeah, they uh they play that up. Yeah. She doesn't really do much in this episode, which mm, but regardless, uh after that, we have uh, Artie is being confronted by Mrs. Frederick about uh, the debacle that happened with them chasing down McPherson. Yeah, we get a but, really good back and forth about like it was a shot in the dark. We hit with a small caliber rifle. The caliber is very large. I assure <laughs> you, Pete's caliber is quite large. <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah, Artie says that and then considers what he just said. And uh, decides to uh, cease using this metaphor. Yeah. Yeah. And then McPherson yells at him for, well, not yells. He always has the same tone of voice she always does. But, you know, she's mad at him. And, you know, you can't make a move on him without telling me first. Your job is to gather information. Right. The gist being uh, he had two leads and he sent his agents split up to deal with them. Mm Mm-hmm. When really, he should not have left his agents split up to deal with someone so dangerous. And yeah, and he should, and he certainly should not have done that without, you know, telling his boss. Right. Yeah. So Mrs. Frederick totally has a point here. Yeah, she's correct. Uh, but yeah, Artie is still trying to play it fast and loose because he feels he needs to capture uh, or deal with McPherson. With as much haste as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, McPherson gets a really good line about, I swear on the ashes of the first 12 warehouses. Mrs. Frederick. Miss Frederick, yeah. Pfft. Damn it. Mrs. Yeah. Frederick gets a really good line about, I swear on the ashes of the first 12 warehouses. Right, yeah, it's a... It's a very good, uh, a very good line, especially, uh, we'll, we'll get back to that later on. And then, uh, we see some spooky potion. Oh, yeah. Uh, the professor, I assume he's an English professor based on him having a display case full of spooky potion. Yeah, and he, um, he, yeah, he seems to be a site and he seems to have a book of poems on hand to... Well, we'll get to that. But right, yeah, he's. Uh, I don't know if he tried to arrange for our uh, creepy nerdy kid to actually approach and talk to Tamara, but he sort of produced a situation where they're both awkwardly in the same room alone. Yeah, it's a really weird situation where you know, first of all, you know. Kid's taking a test, and the spooky potion, a pen in this case, is calling to him. And then after that, after they turn in the, after they turn in their test or whatever, the teacher calls. What's the kid's name? Creepy Provo. Oh. Yeah, I don't think I even have it noted. Uh, right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep calling him. I'm gonna call, keep calling him Creepo then. Uh, the teacher calls Creepo over and says, "Like, hey, I, I noticed you checking out that girl." Here, take this book of poems and read them to her. Which his, his name is Bobby. Bobby Busky. Bosecki. Hey, Busecki. Um, which 
Although Vasecki seems distinctly more Polish to me, but somewhere yeah. along those lines. But I, I feel weird making fun of Polish people. You know, they've they've had it rough. <laughs> right. Uh, but there's an old late uh, local late night uh, television uh, host duo that had running skits that made fun of Polish people, but it's. Uh, this was a long time ago, and yeah. it was not politically correct to make fun of Polish people, so they instead euphemistic, euphemistically used certain, certain ethnic in place of Polish. Mm. So it was the certain ethnic uh, electrician or whatever. Hmm. They, the, was... the jokes did not age well. Yeah, there was a, a very brief period in time wherein like Polish jokes were the hot thing right. for some reason. After all, uh, one more thing about Polish people, and then I'll move on. Uh, <laughs> okay. In, uh, especially in the computer science world, you know, there's a thing called Polish notation, specifically reverse Polish notation, which is a way of writing math equations in such a way that you do not need parentheses. Right. And computers really like it because it can yeah. be described as uh, two stacks, a yeah. stack of uh, numbers and a stack of operands. A stack. Yeah. Your operator stack and your operand stack. The reason Can you it is tell called... that I use an HP calculator? Hell yeah, good taste. <laughs> the, the reason it is called Polish notation is because its inventor, Jan Łukasiewicz, and I really hope I'm saying that right. I've, I practice it a lot, but, you know. They just thought his name was too hard to pronounce, so they called it Polish notation. Right. <laughs> that is, uh, yeah, how you end up like that. And so Polish notation originally was a prefix notation, so the operands came before the numbers. Uh, reverse Polish notation, in my opinion, is a lot easier to use yeah. because like, it's very strange for you have to have to think about and write out the operands you're going to use before the numbers. Yeah. It's, uh, it probably makes more sense if you're a pre-computers Polish mathematician. But I don't get it, though. Like, you got two numbers, and you got to think about what you're going to do with them. Like, the numbers are not generally the part you're making up when you're doing math. Sure. Like, you're generally making up the uh, the operand for the situation you're in. Sure, sure. I think... I don't know. Maybe I'm but, reading a little too into it. Well, remember, he was a logician. More than he was a mathematician. Okay. So, I don't want to talk out my ass here about, you know, about my friend John, Jan, who of course died in 1956, well before I was born. Right. But yeah, he was not really a much, of, he was not a mathematician. He had, he did other stuff. Right. And impressive that what he invented eventually became what I consider to be one of the more efficient ways to do mathematical notation. One of my favorite things about, like, uh, you know, scientific progress in general, but, you know, my specialty is computers, so I talk about computers a lot. Like, George Boole died in 1864, well before his ideas would become incredibly important to the, our modern digital computing world. Right. Yeah, it's amazing to think about, you know, sometimes people do these purely academic exercises and then years later we discover the 
situation in which we can apply them when we really had no clue. Yeah, like, yeah, that's the thing, right? It's like it's, yeah, there's no way this guy could have known what his work would be used for. He he lived so long ago he died because he caught pneumonia walking in the rain and he died because he was at a point in history where we thought you treat pneumonia by wrapping someone in wet blankets. Sounds legit. <laughs> uh, remember, kids, if you have to be a mathematician, don't do it in 1864 England. Right. Consider uh, living in more modern times. Yeah. I get, I get it's the cool temptation. It's cool we have computers. <laughs> I, I get the temptation. It's in the past. Less stuff has been discovered. Yeah. You know, right. It's you easier certainly to are at stuff. an advantage. I'm pretty sure I could invent calculus if I lived in uh, Leibniz time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, you know, look, everyone wants to be Everest Gawah, but nobody wants to die in a duel at the age of 20. <laughs> Anyways, um, so the teacher is, I don't, I have never really been in a Catholic school. Hell, I've never been Catholic. But like, teachers don't usually say things like, hey, I noticed you're looking at that girl. Here's a book of poems to read to her. Right. He seems to have a particularly uh, close relationship with our boy Bobby. Like, it seems like he really wants to encourage this kid he perceives as shy or whatever. Mm -hmm. But, like, honestly, it just sort of comes off weird. Yeah. Like, I have friends who went to Catholic school. I uh, I was raised Catholic. So, uh, I don't know. I don't know that I can compare a Catholic school experience near where I live because it's uh, radically different from the sort where you have these uh, uniforms with blazers and stuff. Yeah. But yeah, it's still an awkward way for a uh, teacher to be in general. Yeah, it's... Yeah. I haven't been in school for a while, but that does not seem like an appropriate thing to be, like, doing. And uh... I suppose. I mean, I think the, uh, the kid had an interest in maybe just literature generally. Like... The teacher provided him with a book of poetry because he figured it would help him, uh, I don't know, find the courage to talk to this girl? I well, don't he, really he know. He specifically, like, points to the book and says, like, let, you know, he, like, lists some of the authors in there, like, Byron, Bubba, but something, all the bees. Burns, let them do the Blake's, talking. Burns, Blake, and Byron. There you go. All the bees, let them do the talking, he says. Right. So he wants, he wants Bobby to... It is Bobby, right? Yes. All right. It is he. He seems to want Bobby to like tell poems to this girl so that she will be interested in him or something, right? Or like uh, girls love the sensitive type like that, or like whatever. I don't yeah, know. Maybe it's because I'm a lesbian, but like, if a dude like tried to get my attention without like. He didn't talk to me like a normal person. He just started reading poems at me. Yeah, what the hell? 
I would think he was. Yeah. I, I would think he was a harmless weirdo who I didn't have any, you know, romantic interest in. Yeah, I uh, I can sort of. Yeah, that sounds about right. I don't think that this sort of, uh, as portrayed in the media so frequently, like archetypal sort of nice quiet boy who uh, studies poetry or whatever. I don't think it comes off nearly that sincere it, yeah. in real life. Yeah, because it's... I guess if you didn't know that the kid, like, was just having weird, spooky Poe shit happen to him, maybe it... Because that's the thing, right? Like, we, the audience, see this kid being, like, tortured by this pen in the glass case. Right. And so, like, we're not really... It is hard to read him as a kid who just needs a little help talking to girls, especially since, like, okay, get to the artifact, you know? Right. We know there's some spooky shit here. What is it? And so we've we get back to uh, Baring and Sons, the bookstore slash uh, childhood home of Micah Baring, and uh, Pete's here. Yeah, it's Pete time. He is, uh, as always, helping himself to food. Right. I. I think he only uh, shows up because he hears how awkward it is getting because uh, Micah's dad is commenting on how she's too skinny and she needs to eat more. Yeah. And so Pete just sort of waltzes in with like a plate of chicken wings I think Micah's they're buffalo- mom made for him. I think they're buffalo wings, yeah. Right, yeah, because he, he's complimenting the hot sauce. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he says he needs the recipe. Uh, and then we we do see after this uh, scene where we've established some of the tension between family members, because at this point, her dad had a health scare, but he seems to be taking things well in stride. But he's a headstrong sort of person that wouldn't let this sort of thing slow him down. Mm hmm. Uh, we go back to the Catholic school where we see our boy Bobby uh, being called to by the pen and he just sort of like punches through the glass display case and steals it. Yeah, he doesn't get shards or anything. He's he's mostly fine. Right. He's just so nonchalant and chill about it that he can't be cut on any of this glass. I guess like he's... I guess we're supposed to read it as, like, he's kind of possessed, like, you know, he doesn't care about the, the injuries, but he also, like, is clearly not injured, like, his hand doesn't cut up or anything. Right. Yeah, and so now he has the pen. Maybe not a good thing. Seems bad. Yeah. Seems not good. Yep. Uh, he he uh, crimes the pen, and I think next thing we know, we see a, a locker exploding. Uh, next thing we see, I believe, is, uh, Micah's dad has started reading from that book, that mysterious book that he received again, and it causes, uh, bad things to happen. 
Yeah. Um, Mike, yeah, his, Mike, his dad is very like, ah, you know, whatever, you wasted a trip, get out of here. Uh, you know. And, uh, oh, and before this, there is a, there's a scene where, uh, Micah's mom kind of figures out that she's, she, her job isn't protecting the president anymore. Or I think if Pete and Micah have a conversation about, like, Micah hasn't told her parents what she does for a living. Yeah, uh, Pete which, and Micah talk about that. Which is, our... I don't tell my parents a lot of things. Like, maybe that's because, you know, I didn't tell them I was trans for a while and so on. I didn't tell them about my name change, etc., etc. But I think if I was working for a secret government organization, I would not tell my parents. Like, right, yeah. Like, they, what do you she, tell them? Is she even allowed to tell her parents? Like, you would think a that par- the warehouse would have some rules about, like, that. They do indeed. You only get one. You're allowed to tell one living soul. Huh. There can sense. only be one. But huh. yeah, Pete has discovered that uh, her dad has a creepy uh, artifacty book. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Claudia's here. Like, Claudia just shows up. Yeah, she's just kind of knocking on the door, you know. Because I think because uh, you know because of the artifacty book, right? But she was like hanging out just in the shadows. There's not a whole lot of time that uh, that is spanned between Pete discovering the artifacty book and uh, Claudia showing up with a bucket full of purple goo. Yeah, this is the show. Really plays it fast and loose with the travel time. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we get some uh we get some fast travel in this episode. So uh yeah, they're trying to deal with uh Micah's dad's affliction where he has text scrolling all over his skin and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so they dunk the book in the goop and the goop just turns to ink. Uh there's some back and forth where uh Micah's mom asks Cla- asks Claudia, like, what does she do? And Claudia is kind of caught off guard and says that she is very good at it. Right. She's very good at what she does, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because Pete and Micah are sort of springing into action, and Micah's mom is getting progressively more and more weirded out about what's going on. Mm-hmm. Because she believes this to be medical, medical, obviously. Like, that's a sensible conclusion if your advanced-in-age husband suddenly is falling ill. Yeah. I mean, she's already called an ambulance for the guy once. Like, it is a reasonable thing to assume that, like, he's got book poisoning or whatever. And, uh... You know, and has to be told, no, it's not medical. There's some weird shit happening to him. Right. And so we're, uh, they've contacted Artie and they're talking about how it's Poe and all that. And Artie explains that it's a bifurcated object. Mm -hmm. So there's two pieces to this artifact and we won't be able to do anything until we've reunited them. Mm -hmm. 
but we don't know where the presumably pen is based on the fact that it turned the goop to ink and it's a book. Yeah. Uh, let's, and uh, let's see, there's a weird joke about how apparently Pete thinks Mike's mom is hot. Oh, yeah. Uh, so somehow they uncover that McPherson is the one who sent it based on the return address, which you can just write whatever you want on one of those. Yeah, it, it's weird that he would write his his actual return address on there. Right. Like, I, I understand this is a very important artifact, and you wouldn't really want to lose it in the postal system. Yeah. But, like, you can at least send it to a post office box. Do you know how hard it is to work out who owns a post office box? <laughs> well, you would think that the post office would have a record of that. And you know you're dealing with the warehouse who I bet can find out who owns a P.O. box. Right. I guess unless it's a private one or something. Yeah, like, there's some weird rules with how P.O. boxes work. Like, they have better privacy than, like, nearly anywhere you can put something damn i mean probably not to postal inspectors but yeah but like if you're trying to hide something from the mail cops a you're not going to and b like you know they can get to it before it gets to your p.o box right and you know see they have a warrant anyways yeah i remember at one point uh my town was on the anti-defamation league website because some white nationalist shithead uh, maintained a P.O. box in a, my town. Uh-oh. I also don't think he lived here. Like, I think part of anonymizing his activity was, like, keeping the P.O. box a little bit further away from where he lived. Yeah. So, yeah, like, they were monitoring this hate group, and, like, specifically the mailing address for it was... Right in my town. Pretty fucked up, but, like, yeah. I also have no clue who this guy is. <laughs> hey, white nationalist shithead. Fuck you if you're listening. Yeah, specifically, fuck you. And your friends, too. Yeah, in fact, if you're a white nationalist and you're listening to this podcast, fuck off. It's not Unsubscribe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Frankly, I don't know how you made it this far, given how much we talk right. about, you know... Anime. Yeah, it's bizarre. Are you hate listening? Like, yeah. do you just, like, listen because you hate our content? That's weird. Just, yeah. just chill out. Yeah, Go knock listen it off. to something else, I guess. Or yeah, not, being, whatever. You I stop don't being care. a Nazi right now, young man, or I'm calling your parents. <laughs> right. <laughs> Anyways. Oh, yeah. So this is where we see uh, one of the bullies open his locker to, um, to just get blasted in the face by a uh, bunch of fire. Pretty strange. Uh, our boy Bobby is hanging out on a balcony watching this all happen, being real creepy. Mm -hmm. He's, uh, this is where the, uh, we start this theme of the, the bad shit that happens is apparently Edgar Allan Poe themed. Like we, in our, our research for this episode... We found a, a, a story allegedly but not actually published by Poe entitled The Fire Fiend. 
which this is maybe based on, it seems like a stretch. Yeah, I'm not too sure. I'm pretty sure there's a story this is based on, but I have no idea what it could be. Yeah. Through through no uh, through no small feat of trying, I spent all of about three four minutes on this. I was there. It was intense. Oh, uh, yeah. Pete said, uh, so they get notification from Artie that something weird happened and they need to go check it out. It could be Poe related, I guess. Mm -hmm. And Micah is ready to go with Pete. And Pete's like, no, you got to be here with your dad. I'm going to go take care of it. And this is where he drops the line. Uh, and I think I'm hot for your mom. <laughs> uh, and Micah just sort of says, I'll break the news to my dad. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, I guess. I mean, uh, I get it. You know, Micah's mom isn't a bad looker. Right. And Pete is... Uh, Pete seems pretty into the maternal types, to be honest. Yeah. They make the best cookies. <laughs> Look, Pete loves to eat. And so he likes a lady who can who can help with that. Right. And we see our, uh, our pal Bobby uh, is being confronted by his teacher about the missing pen. Because the teacher totally knows that he's been real interested in that pen and all this Poe shit. Mm. And he's like, oh, uh, no, it couldn't be me. Uh, check out this wall. What wall? The wall that you're a part of now. The wall that just vored you. Yeah, so the building uh, vores the professor in... The most rapid cask of Amontilladoing <laughs> that you could imagine. Yeah, pretty much. And uh, we've got Pete and Claudia traveling to go uh, find out what's going on at this school. Yep, we, uh, we've got a bifurcated object situation, Artie says, which is why the goop didn't work on the book. And... Uh, Oh, yeah. Uh, we're finding out from Micah's mom that Micah's dad uh, tried to write a book and threw it away like 12 times. Yep. He always wanted to be an author. Right. Uh, let's see. And uh, so Pete and Claudia go to the school to check stuff out. Micah has to stay here and read to her dad to, you know, keep him alive and you know what have you yeah Artie explained that by anchoring him to his world his books uh it will improve his condition and buy buy her more time yeah yeah the same stuff you do for a coma patient i guess right you just keep shouting wake up in their face until they wake up yeah <laughs> <laughs> grab a push uh, and a little makeup Claudia uh, is very interested in the uh, the stuffed raven that's on top of the display case. Yeah, she says something about how uh, she she doesn't want to get avian flu from it. In case you thought you forgot the show was made in two thousand and nine, right? 
Oh, uh, before that, they investigate the locker and spend a lot of time worried that the locker is going to explode again, and it doesn't. There, there's a whole big buildup and no payoff. <laughs> and then they ask, hey, uh, anyone in your school, like, reel into some, like, Poe shit? <laughs> and the pr- principal's like, oh, yeah, that professor? He just had his uh, Poe pen stolen. And yeah, they're he like, just... oh, damn. <laughs> you wouldn't happen to have Edgar Allan Poe's pen, would you? Well, come to think of it. <laughs> we We used to. As of, like, days ago. Yeah. But it it came up uh, missing real recently. Yeah, mysterious. Uh, and uh, before this, uh, there's a scene I really want to talk about. Because uh, after the, the Duke gets well-vored, uh, we have a, a touching scene between Micah and her dad. Wherein uh, he talks about the Johnny Cash song, A Boy Named Sue. And he said, you know, if you were a boy, I would have named you Sue. Uh, would have made uh, you tough. <laughs> yeah, which is what happens in the song is, uh, well, what happens in the song is, uh, and I'm, I'm, I suspect you're, you're familiar with it, but for those of, those of you at home, uh, you know, Johnny Cash, well, the narrator, Sue, uh, you know, his dad, his dad was, you know, left when he was a kid he you know basically knocked up his mom named him and left uh named him sue and he was constantly bullied because of it uh his kind of mission in life is to go and find and kick the ass of the son of a bitch that named him sue he eventually does and uh his dad says something like well you know i know i couldn't be there for you so i named you sue so you get picked on and you know i give you that gravel in the guts and the spit in your eye and make sure you came out tough which I'm so glad is... you came and kicked my ass. Yeah. <laughs> it no, means I succeeded. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> like, you know, hey, you know, you kicked my ass. And A, I deserve it. And B, it looks like it worked. Um, And I guess that's Micah's dad's way of saying, I abused you a lot to make sure you would grow up tough, which is just some, it is painted as touching in the show, but it's just a really shitty thing to do. I also think that the what they sort of are trying to imply is that he would have been equally shitty if she had been a boy. Yeah. Because a big part of why he was so shitty to her was that he wanted a boy. But, like, in his estimation, maybe nothing would have satisfied him. Yeah, it's... He wanted a kid that was tough for... We don't really find out why, like... Right. He's got the soul of an author and a bookstore owner. He's not like some, he's not like some, you know, army drill sergeant dad who like, you know. Right. He's not the traditional man's man type. Yeah, he's not, yeah, he's not some prepper or some, you know, or what have you that insists like, oh, my kid's got to be tough for racism reasons. It's, you know, he's wanted his kid to be tough for unexplained reasons. And was willing to abuse his kid to get that. Which seems like a shitty thing to do, Mike is dead. Right. Bad plan. Uh, frequently would backfire on you. I, If you're listening at home and you're a parent, uh, I don't recommend emulating his example. Yeah, I, I... If a plan leads to abusing your child, I would suggest don't do it. Especially right. if it is as 
ill-considered or as poorly explained as Micah's dad's motivations. Right. Take some time. Consider your options. If you have options that don't involve abusing your child, uh, go with those ones. Yeah. Just like in general. This is my advice to you. Welcome to Warehouse 69, the Fediverse's finest parenting tips podcast. Claudia definitely points out how intelligent ravens are. Yeah. Like, which is cool. But, yeah. Um, as a fellow bird fan, it was a good moment. And then she is weird about the avian flu from this stuffed bird, which... Right. Because Pete asks her to hand him the... Very small branch that the bird is mounted on, and she doesn't particularly want to touch the stuffed bird. Yeah, which, it hasn't been 2009 for like 11 years, so I don't remember anything about the bird flu, but could you get it from stuffed birds? I mean... I don't think so. Yeah, I'm pretty sure taxidermy puts a pretty high value in, uh, you know, like, disinfecting the wild yeah. animals that yeah. you're stuffing Especially because it would be really silly for you to bring this into your home and get sick from it. Yeah. Especially since presumably the bird was in there before the avian flu broke out. Right. It's probably been there for a while. Yeah. That was... The thing with taxidermied animals is you're never really sure what to do with them. <laughs> like you, you can't ever get rid of them because you feel real weird about it. Yeah. I mean, At one point, I received as a gift a stuffed flying squirrel, or not a flying squirrel, maybe. It was large-ish, but like a gliding mammal. Uh, yeah, it was one of those things. I had no idea what to do with it. Yeah. Like, it, like you, know, you can't bring yourself to ever throw it away. Yeah, you have but to like, give it to someone else. But like, do you display it prominently? Yes. You do. Yeah, you have It's to, a very uh, good conversation piece. Yeah. It would it kind of depends on the taxidermy too, right? Cuz if it's if it's like a tasteful raven like in the episode, hell yeah, I would. I fucking love birds. Crows, Oh ravens, yeah, that was yeah. pretty sweet. Yeah, like, you know, I'd clear off some space on my mantelpiece or or what have you for that. I always feel bad for the taxidermies where it's like the stuffed squirrels are like wearing hats or something. Yeah. <laughs> or they're like, they look like they're going fishing. Like, oh, come on. That's, that feels a little mean to the animal. You mean you weren't a fan of uh, Dinner for Schmucks? I was not. And <laughs> I had successfully blocked that film out of my memory until now. <laughs> you forgot all about the, uh, the famous movie scenes re recreated with taxidermied mice. Ah. <laughs> uh. I sure did. Now it's coming <laughs> back to me. Damn, I want to. I kind of want a stuffed bird now. Fuck. <laughs> uh, I have noted here. Don't blame her. Blame test. What? Oh yeah. Claudia spends a lot of time railing against testosterone and its existence. Oh yeah, she. Uh, you know, don't blame the girl. Blame Bobby's weird testosterone juice right <laughs> yeah i don't know uh pretty uh pretty interesting take there claudia like 
if we didn't clearly see her when she was like eight, I would use this as a a way to read her as trans. Yeah, I could I could sort of see that. Yeah. I mean, maybe the show uh, stepped that back, focus groups and shit or whatever. Yeah, I I'm willing to accept that the showrunners intentionally intended for Claudia to be trans. Because it's also possible they're writing her as, like, you know, stereotypical 2009 media feminist sort of thing. Right, yeah, like she's kind of uh, a, squicked out by boys. Yeah, it's kind of a, you know, quote, man-hater sort of, right. sort of situation. You know, yeah, how, that, how can we that remind seems a little people, more likely, but, like, how can, you know, how can follow we remind your dreams. People, yeah, how can we remind people this character is a girl? Right. But yeah, yeah, and then and then Pete has super hearing, and here's the uh, the guy who got cask of Amontilladoed, mm-hmm. and uh, uses the stick the Raven was perched on, which I promise you is like one is pound, stick. half a pound. <laughs> like it is not a hammer. Okay, so- and he uses it to demolish a wall. Okay, so I'll be honest. I thought he was using the stuffed raven to bash the wall open. So this at least makes more sense, but it's still right. not not really do good. Right. It's like if you picked any random object, it's approximately as good as a hammer as the thing he picked up. <laughs> like And then he's like just kind of tearing like he tears the bricks down pretty effortlessly after he gets right. in. I'm thoroughly Which, convinced that a desk stapler would be a more effective tool at demoing a wall yeah. than this stick. Like hell take your fuck take your shoe off, Pete. Like <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah, but the wall falls apart surprisingly easy. He makes a hole and then once he has the hole he's just like ripping bricks out with his bare hands. I don't yeah. think that's how walls work. Yeah. Who knows? Like the generous reading is that it was loosened up or something by being spooky Poe magicked. Right. But yeah. Um Yeah, to to run through for our uh, listeners at home in the Cask of Amontillado, a uh, a dude lures a another dude who he's not particularly fond of in with uh offer of this fine cask of wine and they go down into his basement and get drunk and by basement i mean crypts this is uh france and you have crypts if you're a rich old dude in france i don't know spooky ass Uh, wine cellar type situation yeah, and he just sort of gets the dude drunk enough that he can wall him in while he's alive. This is Poe for you. It's some dark shit. Yeah. Uh, that That's pretty much all there is to the story that's relevant to uh, our story at hand. Yeah, why do you think but his like, head was so big? Huh? It was keeping yeah. the spooky shit in us. Right, He head full of ghosts. Yeah, his head was just... Like, Turgid with ghosts. <laughs> oh, and then uh, they confront Bobby, who they've discovered extremely easily with the pen in hand, because he's like waiting for him, and he pit and pendulums them. 
Well, so there's a thing before this where he, we see Bobby, like, he's talking to the, Tamara? Tamira? Yeah, Tamara. Yeah. He's talking to Tamara. He has a folded up piece of paper and says, like, hey, I wrote you a poem here. She, he's trying to give her the piece of paper. She does not want it. She says, like, you know, no thanks, you know. I no, it's fine. I'm chill. <laughs> I, you know, I don't really want it. And then he... Then he gets real uh, physical about it and yeah, sort of forces it upon her. Yeah, and makes her read it. It says, mine, uh, in case you haven't noticed yet, the, the spooky shit. That, what happens is if you write a thing down with the pen and then make something read it, the bad thing happens to them. Right. When he trapped the dude in the wall, he wrote a wall on a piece of paper and handed it to him. Yeah. And then said, oh, yeah, you, you're the wall now. You're the uh, wall now, dog. <laughs> there was a note that said fire inside of the uh, locker that exploded. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, so now she's received a note that says mine. And it's, you know, pretty suddenly she's under his control. Yeah. What does the note that he left for Pete and Claudia say? I think it's a, it says either pit or pendulum. Probably pendulum. It says pendulum, yeah. Okay. And they get, you know... And there's t- something weird going on with the, like, state of this room. Because he starts the scene out up on a balcony with no stairway in sight. And, like, he ends the scene no longer up on the balcony. Yeah. So I think it's actually literary magic. Like, it's the... <laughs> They had to be in the pit for the pendulum to work. Yeah. And they, uh, because he does seem like he's, like, they're trying to suggest that he's really strong and fast when he's given the note to the girl. Yeah, like, the effects of the pen make him, uh, something more than human or whatever. But he, uh, gives Claudia and, uh, Pete a, uh, incel theory lecture <laughs> you know he says some really like i wrote bobby's a creepy incel because he's like you know girls don't like me because i'm into books or whatever right i'm gonna show them i'm gonna show them all words have power what yeah I just... <laughs> <laughs> which i got I get it, Bobby. I've been a lonely, uh, I've been a lonely, you know, boy, bookish boy too, but like, what? Like, the bully right. wasn't bullying you because you're bookish. He was bully. well, like, he's a bully. He's going to be shitty to you no matter what. But he was bullying you because you were being creepy about this girl who you is, is not interested in you, Bobby. Let it go. Right. Yeah, uh, t- pump the brakes there, Bobby. But... Yeah, Pete is trying to explain to him how this is not fiction, and he's uh, kind of popping off and should probably uh, not do what he's doing. I don't, I don't really know where this is supposed to go. Like, I think Pete's estimation of him is he's not really in control of himself. Yeah. And he's trying to sort of break the spell. Yep. And Yeah, and... Uh... So, and so, ultimately, what does break the spell is Micah, you know, 500 miles away or whatever, uh, reading her her dad's book to him. 
Yeah, so what we've kind of established so far in this episode is uh, when is that Micah's dad and Bobby are kind of connected. When something happens to one of them, the other one kind of gets a sense of it. Like there's right. a thing earlier it seems where when... there's, like there's a thing earlier where uh, Micah's dad says like fire tiger and like that's a hint to uh, you know Pete and Micah like as to where as to where to look first. Right, and it seems when Bobby is using his abilities, that's when uh, Micah's dad is suffering the most. And so when Mike is uh, reading his favoritist book to him, the book he wrote, because, you know, of course it's his favoritist or whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah the wor- even the though words... he asked for it to be burned. It, look, I'm a writer. I get it. I, uh, you know, they're maybe not his favorite book, but it's certainly the, the words that resonate with him the most, you know? Right. They are trying and to reach out to Mike to Micah's dad, who is currently locked in by this evil book or whatever. Right. And so And topically, it's all a book about raising a daughter. Yeah. It's it's all of these things that he pushed down and in deep inside when he was busy being an abusive father or whatever. Yeah, he his only job was protecting his daughter, which is again, another common shitty mindset. Of the oh, I have to, I have to protect the woman in my life because I'm the man, and that's what men do. Which is a, uh, you know, you see this with fathers and husbands, and it's a pretty shitty outlook. Like, yes, if they, I mean, yes, you should look after your daughter. You should, you know, you are expected to do things to ensure that undue harm does not come to them. But you right. should not do shitty things in the name of protecting them. Unless, you know, especially when they did not ask for it and do not want you to do it. And especially right. when you're not trying to protect them from anything in particular, you just, oh, they have to be tough. Right. Yeah, but so it's a little touching. She gets to know her father a little better through this book that he never felt he could share. Mm-hmm. I always read the implication here that he was not afraid of sharing it with the world, but more afraid of sharing it with Micah. Yeah, he said something about because how it's he, so personal or whatever. Yeah, it was something about how he didn't want to he didn't want to lose control of it or something. Okay, yeah, I, I think it's what his mom said or something like that, or. Death of the author or whatever. Yeah. But like from when, the author's perspective rather than yeah, <laughs> the audience. It, yeah, like once you once you release something like once you release a work into the world, you are not really in control of it anymore. Like right. yes, you have some weight or whatever, but you can't control how people interact with or what they get from your work. We know right. you can you can do as many edits as you want, but once it goes to the printer and is printed on page, you can never make that edition disappear. Yep, and yeah, you can. The thing we have learned all too well from events is it, the you cannot control the ways in which people read your work. You can have one thing in mind, and people get a completely different thing out of it. Sometimes that's great. Like, um, you ever played Sayonara Wild Hearts? No, I haven't. It's a it's a really good video game. It's a 
it is a it's kind of like a playable music video like it it's uh like it was i think originally really made to showcase this album but the, oh, okay the game itself is very good I, I recommend it to you and anyone else listening it's on steam and other stuff and uh the the protagonist you your your character uh at the beginning of the story they you know kind of boycotted they have short hair they uh they go off into the world and they kind of turn into a version of themselves with a a sharp suit and a hair bun and an ascot look distinctly more femme. And then most of the game is about relationships with girls. And then when they come back home, there's some other stuff that happens. I won't spoil it. When they come back home, they have distinctly longer hair. And me and a lot of other people I know read that as it being about being trans or at the very least, like about being queer and finding yourself and having some rocky relationships that have their ups and downs. And even though they didn't end well, like still, mean something to you and still made you who you are today and like everyone i knew like they thought it was a, a queer game yeah i recently learned that like, it was not they did not mean that at all the game is like you know i'm sure it has some other meaning but it was absolutely not made you know made to tell a queer story and everyone everyone to tell that to was like what but look at it right <laughs> Yeah, I mean, whether or not you knew it, you were making a queer game, uh, game devs. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> like, if you worked on Sandara Wild Hearts, you made an excellent game. A plus. No complaints. Thank you. You know, if if it being read as queer bothers you, fuck off. But, like, <laughs> if you're okay with that, like, hell yeah, you did a good one. Uh, there are, of course, darker examples of this, and uh, including Poe's Law, which is... You can't make a parody that some that is impossible to recognize as a parody. A hundred, you cannot make a parody that will be recognized as such a hundred percent of the time. Right. Yeah. Like at some point, someone will be far enough into that sort of mindset that they'll re- read it sincerely. In that yeah. case. But yeah, the. Uh, that game sounds really interesting, uh, in part because I've always liked media that is, like, more centered around being a vessel for music to get out. Mm-hmm. Like, I can think of, you know, Edgar Wright loves to make movies that are more focused on the music of the movie than mm-hmm. anything else. Or, uh, like, Kid Koala's uh, released a couple of, like picture books that are just like this nice little animated story but it's set to music so you uh have a couple of page markers and like at the end of each track you're supposed to be at a certain page Hmm. and they're really cool mixed media sort of things like (laughs) i tried to buy it at a bookstore once and they had no idea uh where to even begin (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, this is a an a picture book with soundtrack. <laughs> like, it's I'm not a, really sure. A manual music video, right? In that case, uh, but yeah, so the sort of fusion there has always been particularly appealing to me. So it sounds like a really neat game. I highly recommend it. It, it it's available on you can get it on phones, I think, and on it's like thirteen bucks on Steam and. I'm looking at it now, and apparently it won a BAFTA. 
Oh, nice. So, you know, highly recommend it. But, uh... So we see, uh... The spell is sort of interrupted or broken by Pete, by uh, Micah reaching her dad in a particularly uh, touching way or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it causes our boy Bobby to uh, drop the pen. Mm-hmm. And, Claudia, and Claudia manages to... Uh, she gets up. Pete is still tied right. down, apparently. Yeah, we never quite explained this. Uh, in The Pit and the Pendulum... The main character is tied to the ground and a pendulum is slowly approaching closer and closer with a blade on it prepared to slice them in half or whatever. It seems like a pretty awful way to go. No one really uh, no one really wants this, but you're bound <laughs> and helpless. Would not recommend giving this a <laughs> right. zero on, on and so murderer. Pete and Mike or Pete and Claudia find themselves bound and under this slicey pendulum. Yeah. That's slowly getting closer. But when the pen is dropped, uh, Claudia is released, and Pete is still trapped there. And the the bonds, the straps there are tied to the ground with look extremely poorly vi- put on with visual effects. They are not good. But they do enough right. to, sell the, to sell what's going on here. Yeah, and so Claudia uh, tosses the pen in like one of those foil bags that they yep. use to hold artifacts. And, like, it sort of releases Pete, and so Pete stands up, and the pendulum dissolves shortly before it would have struck him, because he didn't get out of the way of the thing that was going to kill him. Mm -hmm. But it gives them the opportunity just to just sort of go, oh, yeah, uh, things happened. See you guys later. Yeah, they Uh, don't, like... We'll get back to you. Yeah, they don't, like... I don't think they really do anything about Bobby or even, like, explain to the girl what just happened. Right, yeah, they're both pretty disoriented by this whole deal. Yeah. And, uh, they, um, and next thing we know, we are... Fast-traveling right back to the bookstore. Yep, right back to Colorado Springs. Yeah, mind you, they went from Portland to Colorado Springs in seemingly no time whatsoever. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, Artie explains that they need to just set the pen on the book. Artie is very, like, weirdly touchy in particular about this. Right, but also, when they ask for more details, he's like, oh, yeah, but uh, it's not not something real special. Put the pen on the book. And then, like, they go back and forth about putting the pen on the book for what seemed like a weirdly long time. And then yeah. Pete, I think it's Pete, actually puts the pen on the book. He kind of shakes it out of the foil bag such that the pen is resting on the book. And then nothing happens. A whole lot uh, of nothing. Uh, Artie says something like, well, they've been away for a while. Maybe they need some time to get reacquainted. And then uh, they are reacquainted and Micah's dad is fine. Right. The ink starts flying out of Micah's dad, out through his eye holes. It looks pretty cool. <laughs> and it's a nice, coming like, right Nice right on of, back to the book. Yeah, nice poof of uh, of ink going on there. So the day is saved. Micah's dad is okay. Yeah. Uh, except Artie has been talking about what what was McPherson's plan. What's the goal here? Yeah. And, uh, and we found out 
McPherson is in Colorado Springs. <gasps> and uh, when Artie tries to call Pete, call Micah to tell her this, Pete, yeah, they do a whole thing where Pete offers her both the Tesla and the Farnsworth, and she takes the ringing Farnsworth. Artie is Pete breaking- offers her her cell phone and the Farnsworth. And she takes the Farnsworth, and he says, good choice. Right, because it's it's her mom calling her. So, oh, wait. What? So yeah, wait, it's Artie on one end and her mom on the other. Wait, wait. No, they're standing outside the bookstore. We right. Hear, we hear the Farnsworth ring, and then why does Pete have Micah's cell phone? Or does so, does her phone ring and then? No, no, Pete definitely answers her phone. Right, yeah, because he becomes informed that there is someone in the bookstore, and they run upstairs to get to... All the lights are clearly not working, like, the lights go out, Artie's Farnsworth transmission is breaking up, they they look up, they see a, a light on in one of the bookstore windows rush up, and... They see, uh... Micah's parents, uh, they seem to be frozen in place in front of, wasn't there like a football game on the TV? I don't know, like it's this kind of pale white, it's this kind of yellow light. I, uh, I assumed right. it was a, a spooky TV thing, but it turns out it is actually Jack the Ripper's Lantern being held by McPherson. Ooh. Ooh. And he warns them that they... They messed this up. Uh, Micah's parents are just dead. Jack the Ripper's lantern is uh, not a f- not a friendly thing if you uh, just sort of drop it or something. Yeah, which is it's weird. That, like you can apparently like swing it away from who you're pointing it at, and they're fine. But if they, he made it sound like if I turn off this lantern, they'll die. Right. Yeah, it, it's a little strange, but like eventually. Uh, McPherson forces them to hand over the book and pen that they had just uh, retrieved and they do it and he's like oh thanks and hits hits them with the lantern which freezes them in place and he absconds and uh, he's gone yeah no one really remembers what happens while the lantern's on him mm-hmm. and they're gone he's well he's gone Oh, it's also mentioned, uh, Micah talks about how you brought family into this. This yeah. is unforgivable or whatever. And he responds, Artie started it or Arthur started it. I think he says he calls him Arthur. Right. So I, it's not made explicit how Artie brought family into this, if that's what he's saying. I mean, it's possible it's our uh, our friend that he met when he was in that he met with when he was in DC yeah, for that, while that they were chasing a, the uh, sword. Yeah, that was like a girl they were both trying to date. Somebody tells right, me we, yeah. this is somebody tells me this is foreshadowing for something we will find out later. Possibly, yeah. So I'm not really sure where he was going with this. Like, I'm trying to think it through. I don't really know. Uh, but yeah, so that's that's our episode, baby. 
Yeah, it's it's a pretty good one. A lot of good, a lot of stuff going on. A little weirdly written and paced in places. Uh, right. And uh, it was fun though. The CG, while not super impressive, was not a detraction from the episode. Yeah, they used it well. And uh, I kept looking for a place to bring this up, but uh, uh, I was looking forward to this episode for a number of reasons. One of which is I get to talk about Colorado Springs, which is a great place to visit. You know, there's a lot of cool stuff there. If you're ever there, you can visit uh, Manitou Springs, which is a uh, a little tourist trap where you can get uh, just outside town where they have a bunch of like arcade machines, especially older ones, like even old Penny Arcade stuff. Nice. A whole like little building that's just full of ski ball. You know, fun to drive through. Spend a few hours there. Uh, it's where the U.S. Olympic Training Facility is. Uh, if you're ever in the area, Garden of the Gods is this gorgeous, uh, I think, national park. Which oh, the bunch- Colorado Springs uh, Olympic Training Facility. That's where they set a bunch of. Uh, they built a velodrome there. That's where they set a bunch of our uh, bicycle records. Oh hell yeah! Because. On a bicycle, uh, you can go faster at higher altitudes. Less air resistance? Yeah. Yeah. The lack of oxygen that you can get in is something you can adjust to, but the less air resistance makes you faster uh, universally. Hell yeah. Yeah. They don't do it anymore because uh, Mexico City's is higher. (laughs) But yeah, at one point, Colorado was uh, frequently the location they chose for setting the hour record. That makes sense. They say they hit more home runs in Coors Field where the Colorado Rockies play because the air is thinner. Right. Although you're also allowed to make your uh, baseball field various dimensions. Yeah, like there's not real strict rules. It's Yeah, it's very funny to me how every baseball field has like special rules for like, you know, okay, well, our, our field is shaped differently or like it's infield or it's outfield or like this. So because of historical reasons or whatever right yeah some of these fields are very old and like one of them they there's rules for how small a uh outfield is allowed to be and like a couple of them don't even come close to meeting those (laughs) rules but for the historical elements of the field it they're just like yeah okay whatever yeah like, they let Boston have the big green monster for some reason. Like, why are you allowed to have a 30-foot-tall wall? <laughs> or however tall it is. It's probably even taller than that. It's big. Like, no other field has that. There are... Dimensions are weird. The sport of uh, baseball is just kind of weird. Welcome to America's pastime. We're, we're doing right. our best, I promise. <laughs> we're working it out as we go. Uh. So, uh, yeah, is there is there any uh, other projects you'd like to plug? Maybe a uh, a uh, sexy Homestar Runner podcast. <laughs> uh, if by some if by some horrible quirk of fate that. <laughs> I, I do wind up making the world's only and most ill-advised Homestar Runner sex podcast, Tight Pants, where we accentuate all the subtleties. You, you can be <laughs> sure I will bring it up here. 
on Warehouse 69. Listeners, we will keep you posted. <laughs> uh, and if, you are, if you're ever in and around Colorado Springs, I cannot recommend Garden of the Gods enough. It's beautiful. And also, don't vote for anyone who promises to run the town like a business. They tried that and it does not fucking work. Holy shit. Weird how uh, running municipalities like a business doesn't quite work right. Yeah. It seems like they serve two different functions. Yeah, weird how that works. Weird how one of those leads to they turned all the streetlights off, but you could pay $300 a month or whatever to sponsor a streetlight to have it turned on. So that's weird because, like, at one point, uh, someone was telling me about how streetlights negatively impact your property values. Huh. Like, which I sort of get, like, but it's kind of backward. Streetlights negatively impact your property values because neighborhoods that require streetlights are generally, uh either more dangerous or more urban or whatever. Like, it's not really... The cause and effect are flipped there. Yeah. But when it comes to, you know, such nebulous concept as the value of a house... Yeah. Like, even if the logic is completely backward, it, it matters to, you know, the person who is looking to buy or sell yeah. a home. It's... It's the most liber- so it's re- it's weird that you'd have to pay to bring the lights back on. Yeah, it's it's the most libertarian shit ever to uh you have to pay $125, not 300, I was wrong, to illuminate to illuminate to turn on a street light for your area but not for anyone else, not for the rest of the city. Right. Would like, you like one street light? Yeah. That'll be $125, yeah. please. The New York Times found a woman in a dark trailer park pawning her TV to buy a shotgun for protection. I mean, that's a whole ass 2020 mood right there. Yeah. Uh <laughs> like when they turn they turn all the street lights off and when they finally elected like they elected like a pretty liberal mayor, I think. Afterwards, when they finally turned the street lights back on, they had by most of them have been stripped for their copper. Sweet. Which of course the That's city has capitalism, their baby. Yeah. We're gonna run this city like a business, and the uh, the people who live here, they're the ones who uh, get to rob us blind. Ah, <laughs> uh, what a f- what a fucking thing! This fucking country. Oh, yeah. This country. I'd like to uh, note for the record that this is being recorded on Election Day. So if we're not talking about what's going on, it's because we have no idea what's going yeah, on. I have I have checked the news once today, and uh, I figured it would not put me in a podcasting mood if I did. Yeah, uh... We're starting to get some results in. I think it's too early to call anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, PA is looking blue by a good margin. That's uh, certainly meaningful until the Supreme Court steps in and decides we're going to invalidate a bunch of votes or something. Yep. 
when whenever you hear this, probably next week, because you know this is either going to sound really silly or like I maybe I'm just gonna sound like the smartest guy ever because I foresaw this coming, but I don't think it requires you know it it's not it doesn't require a brain genius to explain what the uh, strategy strategy here was yeah to um yeah. To uh, understand how power works in this country and in general. Uh, so, in conclusion, Colorado Springs, nice place to visit. I would not want to live there. By their fucking focus on the family headquarters. Oh boy, Ohio is real close right now. This is uh the state... In which I cast my vote, which, not a huge fan of electoralism in general, my county went 68.8% Trump so far. Yeah. I gotta wonder if they even counted my vote. <laughs> or counted it accurately. Yeah. Because the voting system in America, it's, uh, we have a, it's we something. Have a lo- we have a lot of them. Right, we certainly have systems in place. We have we have as many systems in place as we do uh, voting districts. <laughs> of, oh, of course we we have elections. We have a lot of them, and in right. fact, everyone does them slightly differently. Yeah, like I I voted in person. I filled out my paper ballot with a pencil, jammed it in a Scantron machine. And it said, thanks a bunch, see you later. Like, I would really appreciate if it printed me a receipt paper that says who I voted for. Yeah. Because I, I, at least then, if the computer's lying to me, it's lying to me explicitly, rather than just by omission. Yeah, like, I know why they don't do that, but it would be nice to, like, because, like, I, Washington is all mail-in ballots, and, you know, I went online and... They got and counted my ballot. I sure hope they counted it correctly and didn't... Right. And did not... They didn't, uh, you know, count me as voting for, like, some guy who was running for school board to reopen the schools. Right. I can very easily verify that I did cast a ballot. Mm -hmm. Which is reassuring, but, like... There's no reason for me to believe that I had to have been counted correctly. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's a uh, welcome to America. <sighs> yeah, because I wonder, because we've got 26,000 votes in my county for Trump, 11,000 for Biden. And the way it works, at least in Ohio, is you can request your ballot to be a uh, Democrat ballot, a Republican ballot, or uh, an independent ballot. Mm-hmm. And so an independent ballot gives you all of the options. They just literally take the Republicans off of the Democrat ballot. So, like... Bizarre. I guess that's a structural, like, a way to prevent people from being counted for someone they didn't vote for yeah is if they requested a ballot that doesn't even allow them to vote for that person (laughs) makes sense i would however be i would be worried about like you know there are people who are like oh yeah 
uh, that's a Democrat ballot or whatever. Like, I don't, I assume that, like, you know, there's not exactly a lot of people who, like, have the opportunity to fuck with votes. But, you know. You would hope, like, I fed mine into a box that presumably was locked from the Scantron so that, you know, there's a nice little, neat little stack in the box that presumably can be hand counted quite easily. Yeah. That said, uh, as it's shaking out now, there is a pretty good possibility that Ohio might have to do a recount. Hell yeah. I doubt it. Well, I don't know. It'll depend on the end result. And Yeah, is it within the, the 1 or 2% or whatever? Right. I'm extremely jaded about the state of things right now, so yeah. uh, I'm not holding my breath for a good result. Yeah. But it is far too close to call just yet. Oh, yeah. I forgot Nikola Tesla had a, a lab in Colorado Springs. Oh, neat. Yeah, there's a, a really nice picture of it on the Wikipedia page of like him reading a book under a, you know, a fucking giant Tesla coil arcing electricity across the room. There's like a la- an Edison lab... Uh, in like northwest Ohio, like right on the uh, right on the lake, yeah, Milan, Ohio. Huh. I've never gone there, but seems cool, I guess. Well, oh, there you go. Colorado Springs is one of the most active lightning strike areas in the United States, which Ooh, is why that's Tesla, very neat. Which is why Tesla built a. A lab, that makes sense. Ever had lightning strike near you? I mean, as in the boom was loud, but not like where I could see it. Okay, because I've had lightning strike about 30 feet away from me once. Oh my god. It was very cool. A tree exploded. (laughs) Take that tree. Uh, Yeah, apparently... uh, locust as a tree is substantially more prone to being struck by lightning something to do with its uh density and stiffness or whatever causes it to be uh kind of static generating and therefore more appealing to lightning essentially huh neat after it's exploded it smells a lot like bananas weird yeah, it's very neat. It was very strange. But yeah, that was... uh, It's one of those things, like, you don't even realize what happened. Like, you're just a little disoriented afterward. Yeah, because it happens pretty much immediately. Like, it's a very fast thing. Right. Especially since you Yeah, can't... there was never any moment where I'm like, oh, lightning just struck. Like, it was just, oh... There's tree falling. Yeah, and the thing... Because you don't really get a lot of warning, right? Because the the flash you see in the sky is the return stroke. You don't right. really see yeah. the lightning I don't recall down. there being any substantial flash. And I was like... I may have been facing away from it, but like I was still, you know, not, yeah, like not I, in a position where I wouldn't be seeing the flash. Yeah, so like apparently I, it was more 
above me than at my level. Yeah, like, I've had rooms lit up by a lightning strike. It's, you know, they are bright things. If you were that close to mm-hmm. one, I suspect you would see a flash. Right, yeah, yeah and it w- it didn't strike me as a particularly prominent flash. <laughs> now, I definitely knew thunder and lightning was happening. The boom was something. That was really something. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, the, uh, the light... I don't recall being particularly notable. All right. I'm closing the Wikipedia page for Colorado Springs, but it is Colorado Springs is a place that's so bad to live. It is where the film Black Klansman is set. Fantastic. Based on, you know, true events. Truly it was a warehouse 13. See you next week. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> oh,